1077 The Franchise is your flagship for Oklahoma sports. So we decided to launch a podcast with the very best names in Oklahoma sports media to cover it. When they said no, we called in some interns. Thank goodness John changed his mind before we did something stupid. This is Inside OU with John Hoover on the Franchise Podcast Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Inside OU Podcast on the Franchise Podcast Network. This is Brady Trantham along with Mr. Rufus Alexander and Mr. John Hoover. Gentlemen, how are we all doing today? Awesome. Good. It's, um, <clears throat> it's a little too cold, but if I remember correctly, Rufus, you like this weather, don't you? Yes, I do. I love this weather. I have shorts on. I'm going to have shorts on later with long sleeves. I'm going to go on a run. Ooh. You're kind of like Steven Adams. Like every time I see Steven walk through the tunnel going to a home game, um, it, like in this weather, he's got those flip flops on, um, a t shirt, and just a, an unzipped jacket. There's something about big, tall guys, John, that like they're just, it's easier for them to deal with this crappy weather. It's uh, hot air rises, so it's warmer up there. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. I mean, I, I'm, I'm the shortest one on this podcast, so no wonder I hate this weather. But um, it, it's, hey, science. Uh, it's hey, a sh- this yesterday was miserable with all that wind, but today is very oh, yeah. nice. The wind was the wind was ridiculous yesterday, and the shame of the weather in the last few days is Saturday was Saturday or Sunday. Like you, you had to really split hairs on how great the weather was between the two days like um the shame of it was i didn't get to go to the game on saturday because i was covering the thunder and the warriors and this kind of is a a good little segue into john a question that you had for lincoln riley yesterday at his press conference and rufus you went on kind of a little twitter thread on about this very subject so um i just wanted to get your guys's thoughts on this a little bit more uh john i'll start with you since you asked lincoln the question but um I, just like every other fan in the stadium, even though I wasn't there, you know, I'm watching, I'm covering Thunder Warriors, and the game is on, like, on Twitter, the game is on, like, a monitor kind of in front of me, so I can kind of pay attention to it a little bit here and there, and as the game is, as the Thunder game is ending, it's 42-21, Iowa State scored in the second half, and then OU scored on a long Kennedy Brooks touchdown, and my thought was, okay, like, this game's over. Like, if they're just going to keep trading scores at the very least, OU's going to win kind of going away. They might even cover. And then we go into uh, Billy Donovan's press conference, and then we go into the locker room. So about 30, 35 minutes later, um, I get out of the locker room, go to the media room to finish my story, and then all of a sudden the fourth quarter starts, and Iowa State starts scoring. And everything happens, of course, as we all know. Now, John, you asked Lincoln Riley about um, – if the team or the coaching staff can sense when the air goes out of the uh, the building, so to speak, because the fans all left. So, guys, just paint me a, a picture as to why, A, that was might have been a factor, and B, John, just kind of what Lincoln Riley said. Well, Lincoln's uh, response, I thought, was, was perfect. It was a tape measure home run, as he tends to do with some of these questions. He took a long pause and thought, I'm not going to answer this without coming off like a dick. Um, okay, here's how I'm going to answer this without coming off like a dick. It's our job as coaches and players. We got to go play to our level no matter what. And he said, I'm not going to blame the home fans, just like I'm not going to go on the road in a crazy atmosphere, which he kind of did at Kansas State, uh, and blame the home fans. Blame those guys because our level is our level. We need to reach our level. Now, he said on the flip side of that, 
He said, uh, we have one of the greatest stadiums in America, one of the fan bases in America, the greatest fan bases in America. And when it's rocking in there, does our team feel that? Hell yeah, they do. And then he stopped and paused for just a second. And he said, when it's not, do they feel that? Hell yeah, they do. And then for added emphasis, he waited for a pause, waited for a beat, and then said, yep. I mean, I think he got his point across. I would like to think he got his point across. The same people that left Saturday against Iowa State are going to be the same people who leave early uh, next week, next week against uh, TCU. They're going to be because that's what they've been doing for generations. They they're going to get a jump on the traffic. Um, my question to them is: Do you get up and leave in the last five minutes of a movie to beat traffic? Do you leave a <laughs> uh, uh, you know bar- a birthday party before the little kid opens up his presents so you can beat traffic? Um, you know, do, do you leave the concert before the encore? I mean, what are you paying all this money and investing all this time and effort for if you're literally going to get up and leave at the end of the game? You left at the start of the fourth quarter. And I, I just, guys, I am, maybe my kids and my wife hate me for this, but I do not get it. I sit in my seat at the theater until I know there are no Marvel end credits, after credits, <laughs> post credit scenes. Okay, I sit in my seat at the football game that I'm attending until I know that nobody's going to come back and and I'm going to miss one of the greatest comebacks in college football. You know what I mean? I've got this paranoid streak that, God, I can't believe I missed that. You know what I mean? By leaving early. I'm never going to make that decision. And it just doesn't register with me how people can make that decision. I I mean, listening to Lincoln Riley's press conference, it was kind of like along the same lines of things I said. I'm like, you know, the four, I mean – if you look at the game, you could kind of see in that third quarter that our offense was not moving the ball at all. They couldn't really do anything besides that long run from Kennedy Brooks. It was pretty much it was pretty anemic the last the, uh, the last two quarters. So to think that our defense, you know, they started moving the ball, and you could kind of start seeing uh, Iowa State start having some success with a few little small things, and it kind of compounded all the way into the fourth quarter, and they started having some success with all, with the the off balance stuff but fan wise i said you know the the players missing tackles is not to blame on the fans the losing a 20 point lead a 21 point lead the fan holds no blame on that it's not even their problem it's not their fault at all i mean it's on the players creating your own energy as a player we were always taught to create your own energy and have your own energy and all that stuff but to have the fan base and have the crowd energy and atmosphere of a high school playoff game, that's really the fans. That I mean that's on them. That's there's no way you can you can shake it. You can go to a jinx uh union college playoff I mean high school playoff game and that's pretty much how the atmosphere was. Oh it was loud whenever it needed to be loud. Was it fifty five thousand people loud or was it eighty five thousand people loud? You know, so um they, I mean, I love the fans at at times, but the, so those a lot of those same fans will complain and be upset with the team when they need to start tackling. You know, that's some of the comments I got. If you put a better product on the field, type things, and I was like, at what point was the product bad where you thought you had to leave? Was it the first quarter, second quarter? Because every a lot of people left at halftime and they only gave up fourteen points. So was the product bad at that point? They scored a bunch of points on offense. So I, and I, turned, I turned it around on a lot of people and said, by your theory, you should have stayed to at least the fourth, middle of the fourth quarter to see that the team is struggling. Then you could have left and said, well, the product's bad. I'm leaving. 
third quarter, they only gave up seven points. Offense only scored seven points. So by a lot of people's theories, there it was like you. you and I kept trying to tell people, there's no way how there's no way a player can combat the fan and say, and all you got to say, well, you need to tackle better, give a better product. Well, if I tell you that we're beating the team 55-0, you want to get a you want to get a jump on the, on the traffic. Nobody's there. We beat them 55-0 at half. Everybody's leaving. The stadium gets empty. So. Like at what point, like you had, you find a happy medium, and I'm and I'm one of the, I'm on the lines of, if you're playing against East Popcorn State, that's like Coach Stoops used to say, that's up to Joe Castiglione and those guys to give you a better opponent on the field. Get out of there! It's fifty-five-zero. Let's get the heck out of there. I'm all, I'm all cool with that because at that point you've seen just the young kids play, and that's and that's cool. You ain't gonna see no comeback. But what John said is like. Iowa State traditionally plays Oklahoma close. They beat Oklahoma in Norman. They they don't go away. I mean, if K State's fans were the left last week, whenever the, Oklahoma, uh, the week before when Oklahoma started, when they were up by what twenty some points, I mean, and Oklahoma comes back, you know. Um, and then um, I was talking to some people, and I made the analogies like, you know, there's there's David and Goliath. I mean, every time Oklahoma plays some plays people, and most points and most at most times, they're Goliath, and everybody else is David. Oklahoma's going to get everybody's best shot because most teams in the Big 12 hate Oklahoma. It's just that's the nature of it. And the fan base has to understand that that they are the envy of the Big 12. They we have dominated the Big 12 since 2000 to now. And if you don't if, if fans don't get that, it's like, don't you realize, like, most people hate who we are because of all the winning that we've done. And it seems like they hate the players because they're not. Uh, they're not p- performing at a perfect level of play, and, and it's kind of it, it's just kind of a, a weird situation where players and and fans kind of have a little disconnect because because the fans just feel they can say whatever and just down a player, but when a player or somebody says something about how the fan is at the game and they have a huge problem with it and tell you you need to play better. I mean, so we'll stay. This is there are pros and cons to being a blue blood um, football power historically, and one of the cons, and you can compare it to uh, teams that have and programs that have only been good for like the last twenty five or so years. Uh, a program like OU, the fan base is significantly older than the fan base at LSU because LSU has only really been a national power consistently since the early two thousands. So their fan base is going to be younger. Um, the same thing. But wait, with, but wait, 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 wait. The ninety. I've been to LSU games all through my ninety, and they are always crazy. If LSU sucked and they were like in the middle of the road of the pack, they always still think they're the greatest thing out there, and their, their fans late games have an excuse to drink. Uh, LSU is a drinking school. They are all. Everybody is always drunk, and they stay till the end. I was going to say that the there are other factors, of course, that <laughs> go into like particular schools and LSU being one of them. But the next thing I was going to say was like Oregon and the Autzen Zoo. Their fan base Ooh. is significantly younger than a fan base like OU that's been good since the 40s. It's just that's that's just kind of the give and take that you are going to have. Now, when Lincoln Riley or Bob Stoops back in 2008 basically begs the fan base to like, hey, please be loud and please be raucous the entire time, OU's fan base will show out. Um, I mean, that's just kind of how, how I've always seen it. Like when I used to have season tickets, I was sitting in the northwest corner of the stadium 
and I was surrounded by my dad, my cousins behind me, and then everybody else around me was probably in their 60s or 70s. You know, maybe they grew up maybe seeing the tail end of Bud Wilkinson's uh, football teams at OU. I mean, that, that's that's what you get. And it's it's a lot it's a lot of people that ask you to sit down when you're standing up. If I'm at a football game, I want to stand up the whole time. But um, that's not the entire fan base. Um, but then, I, like I always say, no disrespect to the old person. Well, I paid my tickets like you paid for your tickets. If exactly. I want to stand up, I want to stand up. And yeah, exactly. I don't no disrespect. Yeah, um, I mean, at the end of the day, um, it is, like Lincoln Riley said, it's on the coaches to do their job. It's on the players to do their job. It, it really, it, nothing should matter outside. So it, it shouldn't matter. No. It, it shouldn't matter that, like, a certain score, like, if they show a score on the scoreboard, that shouldn't inspire the team to play harder because, okay, well, this team lost, so now we can do this. No, you should just be playing hard because that's your job. All the time. And yeah. from, the, from the fans' perspective, if they want to leave, then so be it. But you, you're going to reap what you sow, and the fans that left early were probably pissed off on the highway, stuck in stop-and-go traffic because they were listening to the rest of the game going, what the hell just happened? Uh, I mean, even that Oregon game that you played in, Rufus, that I was at in 2006, um, the one thing that makes me happy when I think about that game, other than the fact that you guys were completely robbed, like, oh, you won the game, but <clears throat> the one thing that does make me happy is about 60% of that stadium didn't get to see what happened for Oregon because they all left the second 80, walked into the end zone untouched, and you guys went up 13. Like, the game was over, and everybody left, and so 60% of that it was, fan base didn't get to see that I don't that know. Either they, must have, they must have ended up coming back into the stadium because I'm telling you, by the overtime, we could barely hear each other talk it, from yeah, right to left. On the kick, it was, on Garrett Hartley's kick, it was super loud. I don't know if they have the. I didn't know if they had the policy of you can leave the stadium and come back in one time, like you can do at the Cotton Bowl. I don't know, but yeah, it, it definitely got loud. I think most loud. universities have it to where you can leave and come back. It's just Oklahoma and a few others that have that policy of you can't re-enter. Yeah, what do you know? What do you know? But I guess, <laughs> I, I guess, moving on from the, the fan narrative, um, just more so with the game, because Rufus, we didn't get your perspective um, on the post-game show at all, but. Um, I'm just curious because like the second half has been talked about a nauseam and I'm sure we'll get to that in a little bit, but at least from the first half's perspective, defensively Rufus, I, I really wanted to get your perspective because it looked like when I'm, when I'm watching the replay, it looked like Iowa state was trying to do a few of the things that Kansas state was trying to do um, in terms of like the, the, the pulling guard, uh, trying to run opposite of the slant. And it really looked like, Oh, you adjusted to that. Well, at least going into the game, they were m- much better prepared. You know, Grinch probably just assumed, you know, Iowa state's probably going to, do much of the same thing that Kansas State did. OU seemed to be very well prepared for it. And then, of course, the second half happened. And so my question to you, Rufus, is, you know, talk, listening to Alex Grinch's post-game availability um, from John Hoover's YouTube, um, which you guys should all subscribe to, by the way, um, the frustration I hear in his voice, I, I can't help but wonder if he thinks, as a coach, he's maxed out the talent that he has on this defense, and they're they're not they are just what they are. They're not going to get any better, and if they have performances like the second half, that's just what they are. So, my question to you is like overall, how did the defense look in response to the Kansas State loss? You know, for three quarters, like you said, they answered a lot of the questions that that they had. I mean, they they were schemed against against K State. Well, you know, Grinch goes in, they focus on the things that they were schemed at. They make an adjustment to it. Iowa State tries to do some of those things. They make some things happen. And then Iowa State adjusts again. And then now it shows another part of, well, 
I'm going to counter that. And they went with an off-balance, and they used bigger tight ends, and they attacked the smaller secondary of Oklahoma. I mean, it wasn't – they big-boyed uh, Patrick Fields a few times on the um, in coverage. They big-boyed yeah. um, uh, uh, Buki as well. I mean, although those tight ends were very physical at the top of their routes, you saw safeties falling down. Why they were falling down? Because they were getting bumped, and then, you know – they were forcing the referee either to hold the flag or make the call. They didn't or, have anything or wave, to lose. They were about to get they were, they were about it. to get flown out of the stadium. Huh? Yeah. Or just wave it off completely when Parnell Motley gets horse collared. No, there's no hold. Right. So you you they they pretty much forced the referee to make the call in the game because hey, they might as well ugly the game up. Or are they gonna get blown out? I mean, even on the two point conversion, the one guy, the one tight end went in and I mean totally forearm shivered the safety and spin out on a choice route. He was wide open, but if you see the play as it happens, I mean, there's no way anybody can cover that if about if somebody goes in and hits you the way he hit him and then come out on a route. So, you know, you had they were very physical at the top of the routes and stuff. And, you know, it's one of those things where you have to get better and learn how to play those and get and get even more physical with the tight ends that were coming at you. But they don't have the size to do it. And everybody say, well, what about the guys behind them? I mean, Washington is smaller than Patrick Fields, weight-wise. I mean, yeah. they out-physical Patrick Fields. I mean, I mean, I think, you know, you have some issues that comes in on the back end. But what didn't help Oklahoma is the offense couldn't stay on the field. They turned the ball over twice in the second half. And, I mean, they kind of – when they started going to that off-balance and moving that tight end from one side to the next, it just kind of – you know, this was tough. It, it was tough on the back end. They wasn't picking up the tight end. He was running down the field by himself on a few of them. And then you had the missed tackles that came in because it's just you get frustrated. And you saw some of those guys get a little frustrated when they were, were out there doing their thing. You know, they, they just got – you saw Kenneth, Kenneth Murray one time hit the center and stayed on the block so long, the running back just ran straight through the open hole. And he's not getting off of blocks anymore. He's overrunning things again all the way to the outside. The safety pat fields have to come to balance and hit Purdy. I mean, you know, the one thing you want Purdy to do is go sideways, not cut, come back to the middle of the field. Yeah. You want to chase him down going towards the sideline, so you should take an inside leverage to use your speed to tackle him. Purdy's not no blazing speed guy. But you saw Kenneth Murray's ta- missed tackle. You saw Patrick uh, Fields' missed tackle in the open field. Those guys took an angle to try to cut him off from beating him to the sideline instead of, you know, play that inside hip and run all the way through and make the tackle because he's – like his moves were not that crazy elusive. So this is some of those little things, you know, when bad things start to happen, you start to press and play frustrated and play angry. And Kenneth Murray does it a lot. He starts to play angry, and he misses on a lot yeah. of reads and things he's supposed to do because he's so angry. He miss, messed up on a play before. you got to erase that and settle in and stay in the game. And though that guy right there – if he doesn't, he hasn't learned that yet. He needs to really kind of learn that a little bit more to stay within the game and don't mentally beat yourself because you're so upset and angry and feel like the next time I'm gonna hit somebody, they gonna feel me, and you end up either missing the tackle or going the opposite way of the play. Yeah, Rufus. And, um, okay, go ahead, John. I'll add to that. Last night we talked to uh, to a bunch of defensive players, and one of them was Kenneth Murray, and and someone asked him. 
can you put your finger on what went wrong these last two games? You know what his answer was? What? Lack of focus. Mm-hmm. Lack of focus. And I think he's talking about himself as much as anybody w- in regards to what you're talking about. Getting outside of what it is that he's supposed to do, playing outside the scheme. Uh, so so I think that's that's starting to hold this defense back a little bit. Guys are getting in their own heads. Getting angry, baby, is easy to play the game. Is when some things successful things, some teams have some success on you. It's easy to get frustrated and say, you know what? When next time this guy moves, I'm gonna come downhill so fast, I'm gonna beat him to the spot, and it ends up it's a play action going the other way, and you're still playing the play before that of something happening to you, and they didn't moved on to the next play as the offense. And as a defensive person, your mind should always reset every time you get back to the line of scrimmage after a play, your mind should reset and look at formation down and distance and reset every time. It's hard to do. You have to be very anal uh, in the way you do that. You got to be anal about down and distance and all that stuff. And Coach Venables was that kind of coach. You grinch in those guys are those kind of coaches. They're anal about it. Well, the players haven't gotten that yet to be that way. Reset every time down and distance where it got to go. Okay, they lining up like this. This play, that play's coming. Instead, you're seeing guys playing the exact same play they played the play before to put themselves a play behind everything. And that's and that's the thing that I think hurts them, uh, is hurting them right now because the these two teams that are having success on them right now has had a blueprint of what they wanted to do as they moved down the line. Well, the teams before didn't have a blueprint and they were running free. And now they're not running free and it's frustrating the heck out of them. Yeah, and I kind of wanted to get into more so on Alex Grinch. And John, I'll start with you since you've had a chance to talk to him a few times the last few days. But, um, you know, watching him walk off the field after Iowa State and then his postgame comments, I, I just can't help but wonder if he just doesn't think that it, it's just not going to get better. So, like, whether it's him wanting the defense to create turnovers, whether it's him wanting the defense to get back to their disruptive ways back when they played Texas and before the Texas game. Um, you know, this far into the season, teams know what you are. Teams know your strengths and they know your weaknesses, and they're going going to try to exploit them as much as possible. Kansas State did a phenomenal job doing that. Iowa State um, did as good of a job as they could without actually winning the football game against this defense. And then you've got you know a big big road test against Baylor uh, on the road in Waco, an undefeated squad who has struggled, you know, to be undefeated. But you know, when you you get to November and you're undefeated. Um, you should always have somebody's attention. Like Baylor is a good team because they have simply won football games. They haven't done it in a pretty fashion, but they should have OU's attention, no question. But I mean, my question to you, John, like just getting a sense from Alex Grinch, like where, like where exactly is the frustration coming from? Is it just because they can't do the fundamentals? Is it just because they can't um, tackle slower? white quarterbacks is it because they is it because uh, they're not creating turnovers I mean what is it you know it's a lot of things um it's a lot of what you mentioned um and I, I, it's it's also as much as to me it's as much as anything is a lack of confidence um once once things you know we've talked about this before once things start going sideways for this defense will they revert will they backslide will they become you know, the, the rough and McNeil defense from last year, the Mike Stoops defense from last year. I think some of that is happening. I think you're seeing some of that. And one of the questions I asked Alex Grinch yesterday is, do you find yourself as a defensive coach, defensive coordinator, 
trying to repair guys' broken psyche, trying to restore their confidence. And he said that's a huge part of this game. I mean, I, I guess you have to be kind of a therapist as a coach. I mean, Rufus, I mean, do you recall any any times um, where you guys might have had a disappointing performance, maybe even two disappointing performances back-to-back, and Brent Venables basically had to have a come-to-Jesus moment with you guys? Um, yeah, I mean, you you we lost to – I think we lost to TCU. You know, you get back and you re – you rethink everything and you always try to come back out and say, I'm not going to lose twice to the same team and and come out next week and play bad. And and or think about what happened last week. Uh, Every team has tendencies. Every team's do a little bit of things. And the thing about it is what I learned playing at Oklahoma was every time you play against a team more times than not, you don't see the offense that you saw on film. And it's, it's really crazy because I don't know how much, how much John has, how much John has like really like looked at teams that Oklahoma has played, and then they get into a game. And he's like, "Oh, this team's gonna run this and this," and then you go watch a game, and this team does something totally opposite of what they've done yeah. all year long. And then they go and play the next week, and they're back to doing their old original stuff. Um, that happened to us countless times. But uh, having an understanding is that as a player, uh, you always go back to your rules. And when, if they put in a new offense, they only have two or three plays they have out of it. It's not something that they like, you know, they have all the plays and they do a little bit of their old stuff. So learning how to adjust on the fly is one of those things that you have to learn to focus. And whenever you adjust it on the fly, it always goes back to your rules. And that's what being in Oklahoma defense is why you can be so simple and playing. That's why Grinch has a simple plan of the way he plays, because if you always revert back to your rules, you'll be 95 percent of the time you'll be right and you'll be in the right position is whenever you don't have a clear cut understanding of your rules, you start to get frustrated. So that's why whenever I was saying Kenneth Murray did some things in the game where in games where he he lacks focus because he either won his rules, he don't apply him, and something happens and he plays them again, and then you have to come to the sideline and tell him, hey, look, that play's over. Go to the next play. Go on to the next play. And that's why I keep saying you go back and revert to down and distance and what's going on. Run or pass. They're in this formation. The coaches will bring you to the sideline and show you, hey, when they do this formation, then you have to be smart enough on the fly to say, okay, get this formation locked in my head, and this play is going to happen and watch them doing this off of it because a, a team usually comes in with three or four plays off of a new formation. And then, you know, when this formation comes, if they're having success with it, they're going to have some kind of play action off of it. And once it's play action, your rules come into play and you, you'll, you'll end up being correct. And so the psyche part of it, uh, it's kind of calming guys down and always get them to revert back to what they know and applying their rules, even when they're frustrated and angry and upset that something's bad happening is happening. You still have to be able to settle yourself down and still kind of say, all right, these are my rules. This is how they apply. These are my rules. These are how they apply in the game. This is where I'm supposed to be. This guy blocks here. I'm supposed to go here and always it'll keep you right. And then you'll be able to find out and fix one person that's not that's doing it wrong and not applying his rule, but applying his rules. But if three or four people are doing that same thing wrong, it's hard to pinpoint where's the problem at if you have three or four guys doing it wrong. But I still I must still say the biggest problem with this team is on two levels. You have you know who your guy is. Right. If I need to play in the defensive line, 
I know Neville Gallimore is my guy. I'm gonna go to right. Yeah. You go to the you go to your linebacker position. You know, if I need a play and I gotta rely on somebody, I'm my go to guy is gonna be Kenneth Murray. But when you get into the secondary, they don't have a guy. They don't have a ball hog. They don't have a tackling guy. You don't have an enforcer. You have nothing. You just have a bunch of guys playing. Nobody wants to be the superstar in the secondary, and that's kind of the problem is. Oklahoma's always really had that guy that was a, a superstar or a hands guy that can go and get you one. You know, you go back, you you go from Zach Sanchez, I think was the last person that was your guy that goes out there and gets you an interception in a timely moment. If he got hit, if Zach Sanchez got hit in the hand with the balls that the ball that Trey Brown got hit in the hands with, Zach Sanchez is going the other way because that's the type of person he was, and you always knew he was going to come up with one or two of those. He may miss one, but he's going to come up with the second one. Um, oh, I, you I go have, back. I have no doubt. Tony I was. I was just going to say, Rufus. I have no doubt if the shoe were on the other foot and Brock Purdy threw Jalen. Jalen Hurts' interception directly at somebody in the secondary, they would just drop it. Like, I have no confidence. I mean, oh, you had their hands on two of them. I yeah, mean, I on no two balls in that game, they should, interception. they should get an interception for. And that's the thing. You don't have a – you don't – Grinch will tell you, Roy Manning will tell, tell you as well, you, they don't have a go a guy that's looking for the ball and attacking it in the air. They don't have a ball hawk at all in the back end. And that's, hurt, that's hurting them because teams are just – Taking their chances down the field like, well, we're going to get the ball back. They ain't going to catch it. Might as well take my chances. Yeah. In in regards to the confidence issue, um, I think that's uh, I think that's painfully apparent when you talk about a lack of turnovers. When you talk about the, the first time I ever saw Trey Brown, he was a sophomore at Union High School. And he jumped the, uh, uh, what was that quarterback's name at Jenks? Cooper, I can't remember. Uh, was a four-year starter, three-time state champ, I think. Well, he jumped this guy's pass. He was a senior. Trey Brown was a sophomore, and he jumped this dude's pass and picked it off and nearly scored with it. He was a sophomore in high school, guys. He was 15 years old. And he. I said to my son, we're watching the game, I said, I don't know who that kid is, but that's a Division One cornerback. He had the confidence to, to jump that route and catch that football and return it like 35 yards against a Jenks team that had was coming off a state championship and was full of seniors and experienced players. He was the man that night. And and I'm just looking at him now and in college, and he's been starting in college, and he's yes, he's been beaten down a little bit. But it just makes you wonder, where did that guy's confidence go? And, I, and that's one of the things, as I said, I, I asked about Alex Grinch. He talked about getting it fixed in practice. Like, Brady, you'll, you'll get this. You'll, you'll love this analogy. He said, if you're uh, not shooting well in ba- in basketball, you go back to the hardwood, you go back to the practice gym, and you and you work on your shot. Yeah. Uh, exhibit A, uh, Stephen Adams at the free throw line. Exhibit B, um, you know the the Oklahoma City Thunder last year at the free throw line. You watch them in practice, and and they hit free throws, and then you put them in the game, and you turn the lights on, you put eighteen thousand two hundred three people out there, and it's like. Oh my God, I forgot how to shoot free throws. <laughs> I, sometimes it works. I mean, that's all you got to go back to. Yeah. Where you're, you got to hit it in practice and you got to work on your craft. And per, but then when some, when you transfer, transfer that to the game, all of a sudden you're back in that slump and you, you're not getting out of it. It's like there's a, there's a major disconnect. And I don't know, guys, if that's on the coaches for not being able to take those two plugs that they see and plug them into each other so that that power keeps running. From from the practice gym to the to the to the you know the 
arena, uh, in this case, the, the practice field to the football field, the, the game field? I don't know. The, the, this is a young coaching staff. So maybe we have to ask that question. Do the coaches know how to restore guys' confidence? I, I think it goes back to what I asked earlier. Um, if Al, Al Scrinch is just of the opinion that um, he's maxed out the, the capability of this defense. Like, they're not going to be any better than they were against Texas, and that was a complete and utter outlier. Now, even prior to the Texas game, they still had some very good performances, and we all, you know, the three of us all sat on this podcast and sang their praises. And Rufus, you would point out some flaws. You would point out some things that would eventually come to bite them in the ass as the season wore on because um, as to what you describe Alex Grinch's schemes, they're simple. Um, and it helps the talent on this roster. And I think going to John's point, like why can't Trey Brown just be the guy that he was athletically, um, ball hawking wise in high school? Um, maybe it's because they were, maybe because their confidence has just been through such irreparable damage over the, the two, three years yeah. they were in the program. They just aren't the same type of player, but the, the simplicity of the scheme, Rufus, and I'll ask um, one more thing on the defense before we get to Baylor. Um, the simplicity of the defense, does that kind of handicap the defense and Alex Grinch to what they can adjust to? Because if, if he just has the idea, like, I have to, be, I have to run simple stuff because that, that maxes out the capability of my, of my players. And when something else is going on, like against Kansas State, because the, the common frustration from fans were stop slanting, Maybe it was just because Alex Grinch is of the opinion, this is our best shot. Like, we're either going to get stops doing it this way because this max, maxes out our talent, or um, if we do something different, it's just going to get worse. I just want to get your opinion on that. No, it's not to say doing something different or simplicity, um, because, I mean, Oklahoma, you go back and watch a lot of old Oklahoma films, I mean, they were as simple as it get. I mean, we pirated we tammed we ripped i mean for the most part we were in four down linemen and you knew where the four down linemen were going to be you knew where the linebackers was going to be you just uh your understanding of offenses and playing with intelligence were your your football iq was really high and a lot of times you see guys on the field where eight guys play with high football iq and three guys don't and you have a busting coverage or whatever everybody jumps their route that they saw coming because they watched great film and the one guy that had his finger up his butt let his route go and that guy's wide open. You know, so you have those are the things that are happening out there where most guys are doing their job and then there's one guy that's not doing theirs. I mean, you watch a tight end go straight down the middle of the field wide open. Well, everybody else ran downhill in the play action. The one guy that's supposed to get the six five six six tight end doesn't pick him up. I mean, that's football IQ, that's awareness, and that's a guy not doing what he was supposed to do as a football player. Yeah. The first play, the first play, whenever a guy was running a swing route, um, everybody got the check but the linebacker. So you see the guy coming around wide open. When the when the the, the the wide receiver drags across the field wide open by itself, everybody gets the check but the but the safety guy. Or I think are the corner, and he doesn't go with his guy, leaves him wide open on an easy first down. Those are the things that those are the problems that they're having. I mean, it ain't like Grin saying, "Well, you maxed out on talent or anything like that." I can't get these guys any better. No, they're just not doing a lot of the simple stuff. And a guy that jumps a route or takes a slant or picks off a ball is a guy that, in film room, has the confidence in film room. Yeah, on the field has the confidence on the field because. When they do this, I'm a thousand percent confident that this is coming and I'm going to pick this off. 
you bait guys into doing different things and you under your understanding. But some of the, earlier on, what was registering on the field is not registering right now. And some of the easy checks they were supposed to be making is not getting communicated right now because every guy is pressing so much. And you could is you can visibly see how those guys are not all on the same page sometimes. And that's the problem that Coach, Coach Grinch is having. He's not maxed out on talent. He's not maxed out or giving up on these guys. Trey Brown can go back to picking off a ball here or there. Um, it's just that those guys right now are reverting back to some of their old ways because a team had success on them. They're reverting back to doing some of the bad things because of their inability to get off the field sometimes. And that's and that's and I think that's what's driving Grinch more crazy than anything. Because you're not to say void of talent because how many balls have they had their hands on? Yeah. A ton of them. Uh, how many how many times do you have to tip a ball in the air for a turn or turn a yield to get underneath the ball and catch it? Or Patrick feels to get underneath the ball and catch it. I mean the ball been in the air like three or four times and guys is oh just like right there an inch off. I'm like, how does this guy not have no anticipation of where the ball going when it's floating in the air or hustling towards the ball? How many times does Trey Brown has to have to be close enough to a receiver for a, a quarterback to put a ball on the back shoulder, hit him dead in the shoulder pass for him not to catch the ball? That's not a lack of it's not a lack of confidence. I mean, sometimes the lack of awareness or just, you know, just a guy just pressing so hard and want that play that he just doesn't make it. And that and that's unfortunate. But the simple the simple the simplicity of the defense is not the problem. It's the the football IQ that's that's the problem. And once the football IQ gets high, it's easier to make a ton of plays. And before you before we move on, there's when they was in the secondary, Brandon Everidge was a safety. He may have been a bonehead off the field. He may have done some a lot of crazy stuff, but his football IQ was as high as anybody I've ever seen because he would point out what was coming. He would tell you what was coming. He knew what was coming before he came. Same with Derek Strait. His football IQ was so high that he I watched this man play Texas against Roy Williams and run. He ran his route form just about 80 percent of the snaps. He would line up. He would line up to the to the uh, off to the line of scrimmage one time before the ball was even snapped. And he said, run that weak ass slant <laughs> before he even ran it. Those, I mean, those are those are guys that have fo- high football IQs that know what's coming. And and you could take it back to the Superman play where Roy Williams jump over somebody. That's him knowing, like, even though I was told not to do it, I know this guy's gonna cut me because I'm coming in with a full steam, a full head of steam, and he's watching me on film pretty much blast anybody that comes in my way whenever I'm blitzing. He is not gonna take this punishment, so I'm gonna jump over this dude. He jumps over that person. It's just. Guys with high football IQ usually make a lot of plays that are the easy, the simple play make it look the hard play makes it look so easy. And the simple play, it looks like he's toying with people. It's like watching CD Lamb out there just toy with defenders because of the the game is so slow for him, and everything that happens in the game is super easy for him. And the easy the hard plays look like he barely even tried to catch that one throw where the guy jumped early and he still caught the ball and i was like how in the hell is he doing that but that game is moving in super slow motion for that guy 
Well, the defense needs to get their head right because they've got a huge game um, with obviously Big 12 championship implication. And if, I mean, both of these teams are very much in play for the playoff because there's still a lot of football left to be played. Playoffs? <laughs> as, uh, sil- playoffs? as silly as that may sound after the last two games that OU's played. But, John, um, the thing that w- worries me about Baylor, they're, they're, just, they're just a team that wins. Now, sometimes they just kind of find themselves on the winning end of a football game like they did against West Virginia. Um, they may have even been the, the uh, benefactor of an awful, awful call against Texas Tech where Baylor snapped the foot, the center snapped the football basically into his own ass, fumbled it. Don't, Texas- hate, don't hate on luck, baby. You got to have luck to it, win. Baby. Exactly, and that, that's kind of my fear with Baylor, um, especially the last few weeks. Now, the, the I believe it was the fourth quarter when Baylor started really scoring against Oklahoma State. Um, and then uh, two weeks before that, um, they went to Manhattan and really decimated Kansas State. Outside of those two games, in conference, they have just eat by. Like they beat they beat Iowa State twenty three twenty one, but I believe that score was twenty to nothing going into the third quarter, mid third mm-hmm. quarter. And Iowa State really resurged in the second half, like they did. Like I guess like they typically do. Uh, mm-hmm. Baylor beats Texas Tech, like I said, in overtime thirty three thirty. Um, kind of off of a, a bad call that should have put Texas Tech in position to possibly win. West Virginia game 17-14, and then <laughs> last week, um, 9-9 going into uh, overtime, ended up 29-23 Baylor. So my fear, John, is just they haven't played their best football just yet, and they've got a huge game at home in front of a, a very fun crowd in Waco. Um, college game day is going to be there. Oklahoma's coming off of a loss and a win that really felt like a loss when you watch all the player interviews following that victory against Iowa State. Um, now, in the past, when people seem to be very down on Oklahoma, they come out and kick somebody's ass. And the Baylor game back in 2015 is probably a good example of that. You know, OU loses to Texas. Um, they kind of pussyfoot around um, for the next few weeks. And then they go down to Waco, a place where they hadn't won in two um, uh, the last two uh, times and they play a hard-nosed physical game and when when that game it springs springboards them going back into the playoff um, but of course like I said Baylor is just a team that has just won and won and won so I mean John like I mean, what is the fear as OU goes into uh, Waco to go take on the Bears yeah, no, I, I've said that all week so far. That uh, that this Baylor team is is gritty. They're scrappy. They, first of all, they've got a really good defense. That's that's the main thing. Uh, they're winning with defense, and they're winning with a little bit of ball control. They're not just dominating ball control like Kansas State did to Oklahoma, but they are controlling the football with a, with a little bit of a power run game and a quarterback that's pretty efficient. Um, but you know the 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 TCU game, Baylor probably. Baylor probably should have won that game going away, and yet you examine it at uh, going into that last kick where they they run the the kid from Union Noah Rauschenberg out there to kick the field goal, then call timeout, then run a different kicker out there to kick a field goal, and he hits a fifty one yarder. I'm thinking, wait a minute, what? T- TCU um, probably shouldn't have been in that game, but guys, that's what TCU does. TCU when they don't have a ton of talent, they are excellent at uglying uglying up a football game and that's exactly what Gary Patterson does that's what his MO was and it worked against Baylor Max Duggan the quarterback guys I love this stat going into overtime he had 116 yards passing in that game against Baylor going into overtime so through four quarters of regulation 
He had 116 yards passing. Now you want to talk about hidden yardage? Baylor had 115 yards of penalties. How did Baylor, I'm sorry, I said Baylor, TCU. TCU had 115 yards of penalties and 116 yards passing. How was that even a game? Yeah. And, And I don't know because Baylor is better than that. Baylor should have blown them out, but yet what happens? They come back, they scrap around, they find a way to get it to overtime, they find a way to, to win it in triple overtime. They, you know, it's they, you're right. They're living right. Baylor is living right, and that should be something that is deeply concerning to Oklahoma, especially with the playoff picture shaping it up, shaping up the way it is. Um, you know, Alabama loses, Penn State loses. You've got two two undefeateds that fall, and all of a sudden, people are like, my my editor at Sporting News called me today and said, you want to do something on Baylor? I'm like, eh, have you seen their schedule? I mean, yeah, I'll do it, but have you seen their their non-conference schedule? Have you seen the way they're winning the playoff committee tonight when the rankings come out? Playoff committee is going to be very unimpressed by Baylor. So that should absolutely 100% support what you're saying. Oklahoma needs to be very concerned about all aspects of that. Yeah, and that kind of goes back to what I bitched about on the last Monday podcast, John, where... Um you get you get to this point in November. You're a Power Five team and you're undefeated. And yes, their their non conference schedule is just a bunch of uh, directional Texas schools with uh, somebody's name on them. Like Stephen F. Austin was their first game. Like they did themselves no favors in non conference. But I just feel like if you're a Power Five team undefeated in November, you should not be scratching and clawing to be in the top ten. You should just be in the top ten. To me, that, that that's a completely other conversation. But um, yeah, and I, I get what you're saying because a lot of other schools play bad non-conference, and they just automatically in the top ten. Just boom, they're in the top ten, and like for Baylor, I feel I feel like Baylor should be in the top ten because they're undefeated and they play. When they had to play the teams in the Big Twelve, they won. They've 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 beaten the people they are supposed to beat. Even the big whenever they played against. The Big 12 teams, they've beaten the teams. So no matter what their schedule was before, they've beaten the teams that were put in front of them. And it sucks that, you know, they play against Bob Stoops at East Popcorn State. But, I mean, they beat East Popcorn State. But when it came to playing Iowa State, they beat Iowa State. When it came to play TCU, they beat TCU. So, I mean, it's kind of like, well, how do you say they're not? who they supposed to be because didn't didn't you watch West Virginia go and play against NC State beat NC State didn't you watch K-State go play against Mississippi State beat them so you know Baylor turning around and beating those schools is I think is a should be something to something to be said yeah because I mean I'm really of the opinion that whoever wins this game unless unless Oklahoma beats the shit out of Baylor if they beat them like 45 to 10 Oklahoma will get credit for that because they've got the O and the U on their helmet, and the committee will think, okay, Oklahoma had their little pussyfooting around in the middle of the season. Now they're back to like what we thought they were, so we're going to give them credit. But if OU wins kind of an ugly game, or if Baylor wins kind of an ugly game, or even if they blow out Oklahoma, I don't think either of those examples are going to get. You're going to get much credit in the committee's eyes because they've not- they've said it loud and clear they don't really respect the Big 12 even though the Big 12 is I feel a fairly solid conference I think it's better than the Pac-12 I think it's better than the ACC and you can make the argument about the Big 10 because all the Big 10 has is just Ohio State and then Minnesota is a cool story but we'll see how that ages so um, but you see but look, but look at the SEC as well I mean LSU didn't come out and just dog Texas they 
battled the hell out of Texas. Texas threw a lot on their DBs and all that stuff. And look at Texas in the Big 12. They're struggling in the Big 12. It ain't, oh, yeah. like, LSU, it ain't like LSU was just so dominant against uh, Texas that he's like, oh, you know what, AC, SEC is clear-cut better than everybody else because they came – I mean, Alabama was in a close game against Duke in, in, the game, in, a, in a half against Duke and yeah. pulled away later on in the game. I mean, the college football as a whole is balanced everywhere, like everywhere. I mean, the ACC as well. Clemson is not having the greatest of years. They've struggled in some games. The talent across the board all around the country is very, is very even. And that's why I think the rankings they have just do it in injustice because they always look at the same teams to be at the top of whatever they are. And that's like a, that's not fair to the whole entire league. But you can watch Auburn could pop somebody, can pop Alabama, or they can pop Georgia coming this week. Because Georgia is not some some great team offensively because they struggle against South Carolina, uh, South Carolina, and struggle a little bit against Notre Dame. They can't throw the ball forward. Like there's this right. there's this salty ass Georgia fan on Twitter who always brings up like if Jaden Hazelwood, you know everybody. If you don't know, Jaden Hazelwood played high school football in Georgia, um, best wide receiver recruit in the country last year. Um, there, there's this Georgia fan who always brings up a box score of Jaden Hazelwood if he doesn't um, register a catch in whatever game OU just played. You know, just to be salty. And like I, I don't, bo- I don't bother myself with getting in arguments with people I don't know on the internet. But like my internal response to that is just. Even if Jaden Hazelwood was there, I don't know if Jake Fromm could throw him the friggin' football because <laughs> their offense is so boring. It but, is so bad. But what, they, but what Hazelwood understands is C.D. Lamb's gone this next year. Hell and yeah! There's not a guy <laughs> behind. Him. There's not a guy behind him or in front of me that is better than me and going to get the ball like he is, like he did. And so Jaisel, Jalen Hazelwood is going to catch every ball that he ever wants to catch next year because the kid coming behind him is a better throw than Jalen Hurts. I guess we'll get a little bit into what kind of other than just the luck factor for Baylor and just the fact that they've been winning because like I, I don't get to do any of the uh, what scares me the most what I'm looking for the most on the pregame show that's for you guys so John I'll just ask you the question about Charlie Brewer because you describe Baylor as kind of like manage just clock management just kind of a they they do enough to win football games they, they they're not flashy they're not like the Art Riles Baylor teams of old where they're just going to score 40 50 points a game and try to outscore you in a track meet the thing that worries me about Charlie Brewer is just how you described him kind of a, as a manager that's how we probably describe Skylar Thompson going into the Kansas State game Brock Purdy can maybe be described as that but he's he's very good he's a very talented quarterback um He's a high-risk guy. He's a high-reward guy. Just go back to the ISU-Oklahoma uh, State game for that bad example. Um, but with Charlie Brewer, the thing that scares me the most is his ability to stand strong in the pocket if there's no pressure. And there's been no pressure the last two weeks, or the last two games, excuse me. His ability to stand strong in the pocket and then wait for those deep slants to develop because um, Baylor's receivers, if they have time to get um, through their routes, they are going to eat DTY and Patrick Fields alive. I'm scared, mm-hmm. John. Yeah, Denzel Mims is really good, really, really good. Um, here's the thing that I that I would wonder if I'm a Baylor fan. Here's the things that I the, one of the things that I would wonder: Why has our offense scored a grand total of two touchdowns in regulation in the last two games after putting up 45 
against uh, against Oklahoma State. You know, why has the Baylor offense stagnated like this? And truly, I mean, uh, you know, what Rufus said is right. College football, there's a lot of parity. It's hard to win. So to to flip that script, okay, yeah, Baylor's offense is struggling. Oklahoma's offense, which is, you know, 25th century thinking, right? We've been applauding Lincoln Riley for all his innovative techniques and the route concepts and, you know, mis- finding mismatches in the middle of the field and moving guys from one side of the field to the other and putting them in motion. And my God, that guy's so smart. Why has his offenses scored six points in two quarters against Kansas State and seven points in two quarters against Iowa State? We, we're 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 killing the defense here, the Oklahoma defense, but the Oklahoma offense to me is the real conundrum. How in the world does literally college football's best offense maybe ever in the history of college football, 150 years now? How have those guys struggled like this? And I'm not ready to put it all on, um, you know, the opponent. Kansas State was pretty solid. Iowa State was pretty solid. Two of the better defenses in the Big 12, in my opinion. Yeah, but those guys are not the 85 Bears. This offense should not be hitting the skids like that in back-to-back games, and they're getting ready to go to Waco, where Baylor has one of the better offenses in the in the in the Big Twelve Conference. I'm sorry, better defenses in the Big Twelve Conference, and there should be concerns that that you know we're the Oklahoma defense. I'm sorry, the 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 Baylor offense, yeah, is uh, is struggling the last couple of games, but so is the Oklahoma offense. How do we how do we uh, how do we parse that up and and figure that out? I'm there with John as well. I'm more concerned about our offense because our offense had the opportunity to pretty much close the door in Iowa State in the second half. Uh, Iowa State scored seven points in the second half. I mean, in the third quarter. And our offense matched them with seven. Um, so if you're going to get in a game where you're the, the, the Oklahoma defense is giving you the ball back on three and outs and giving you chances to pretty much expand your lead – and you don't do it. I mean, it's kind of like, well, what the hell are we doing wrong? What's going on? How can we score so fast early on? And then all of a sudden just hit this lull and don't really get any kind of movement on the ball. Um, so it, it's kind of weird in watching our offense here lately. Um, my thing going to be is, will, will Adrian Ely play? How is he going to be? What's his health like? Is he gonna is he gonna be gimpy and not be able to play? Because we saw Swenson move over to right and Proctor come in at left, and that's a disaster. Oh God, yeah. I didn't. I for, totally forgot about Adrian Ely's status. And thanks, Rufus. Now I'm even more scared for Saturday. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, if Ely's not playing, I'm I'm like a thousand percent. They're not going to be able to run the ball. They're not going to be able to run the ball. It's going to be like Kansas State, where Lincoln just could not run it because the offensive line couldn't get. Uh, they could even pray for a push. Right, so my I'm gonna be I'm, I'm on upset alert going on in that game if Adrian Ely's not playing because of I mean you saw Swenson at right tackle you got some of what it looks like you can't and he, he the reason why they didn't want to move Robertson from right guard back to to, to tackle is because it hampers um, Creed in the middle because the you bring in Walker and then you don't have no communication from right to left. So that's a that is like a big humongous scare for me not having Adrian Ely in the game and and you saw a little bit of what happened uh, in the second half when he went down. Um, what also concerns me is the running back depth. Now where do you go? Ramondre Stevens banged up. Trey Sermon's gone for the year. What the hell? I mean you're you're down the pleasure now. It's pretty much pleasure and Kennedy Brooks. 
Is <sighs> anybody else seen an alarm right here? Like, well, whoa. I mean, I mean, at the very, like, at the very least, at least Lincoln Riley doesn't have to try and figure out ways to balance carries between Jalen Hurts, uh, Kennedy Brooks, and Trey Sermon. I don't mean that in a mean way because I don't, you know, I'm I'm sad for Trey Sermon. That's terrible. But yeah, but I mean, you the go ahead. Jalen Hurts was taking a lot of the carries selfishly. I think a lot, and in a lot of games, I you can see sometimes he gives the ball. They get the same first down they would get if he kept the ball in his hand. So there's a lot of times where it's some selfishly he kept the ball. Because he takes I it personal. It. He takes all this personal. Yeah, and that's what I. That's my thing is you know, you watch Jalen Hurts play and he comes to the thing I can I can control the game I can control the pace of the game I can do this I can do that and my whole thing is no you can't. You need to make the timing throws that's supposed to be made. You need to make the throws and give. CeeDee Lamb is one of the best deep threat wide receivers in the game. So when you see CeeDee Lamb in one-on-one, you don't look his way. You hold the ball and look another way. Or whenever you see Jalen Hazelwood coming across the field and the safety's in a trail position, you don't put it out to a place where just Hazelwood can catch the ball in front of him. You hold the ball and then you try to run for a first down. I mean, countless times you see that. You know, he misses on a – on a route to Charleston Rambo, who's wide open, coming all the way across the field, where if he catches it in stride, it's a touchdown. So it's like things like that where you say he can control the pace and all this and that stuff. No, you just need to get the ball into the playmaker's hands, which is C.D. Lamb, Charleston Rambo, Hazelwood, guys that are on the field, and let those guys be players. And you'll win a Heisman. Baker Mayfield was really good at doing that and allowing guys to make crazy catches for him that ends up making him win the Heisman. You don't have to win the Heisman with your feet all the time. And I feel that sometimes he thinks that's how he has to win the game is with his legs instead of with his arm. And you, it's get, becoming more and more evident that he struggles with making the on-time play or the anticipation play that, that happens within the game. And those are where your big chunk plays happen a lot of the time. Yeah, and yeah. a lot of people are not really talking about where his struggles are at. And that's what K-State forced him to do. Make the in-rhythm plays or make the anticipation the anticipation throws, and he could not make those throws. And whenever you saw K-State in a one-on-one, you couldn't attack it or even, or even attempt to put the ball out there so your receiver can go and make a play. That's what a lot of teams do to our DBs. It's like, ah, might as well take a chance and throw it up, let our guy see if he can go and get it. But we don't really do that. We don't let C.D. Lamb be C.D. Lamb. He, you don't really see C.D. Lamb be C.D. Lamb a lot of the times with catching contested throws on one-on-one coverage. Yeah, this isn't the 2017-2018 uh, Oklahoma offensive line. So he, he is having to be um, – Jalen is having to play off schedule quite a bit more than, than Kyler did or Baker did for sure. But – uh, oh, I was about to say, John, there better be a big old butt in that because yeah, yeah, yeah. a few Absolutely. times that Iowa State game where that man sat in there, patted the ball, patted the ball, and is mm-hmm. like, damn it, throw the ball. The guy's yeah. open a long time ago, and he just held it. That's endemic of a little bit of Iowa State uh, alternating, I think, their, their drop eight coverage, making him think, making him process, making him look for a second guy, third guy, go back to the first guy. He's not comfortable doing that. And if if you get somebody like that off schedule – um, pro football focus does a, a great job with some of their analytics. When you're in the pocket, when you have a clean pocket, here's your passer rating. When you're forced out of a clean pocket or you're, you, you know, you're having, you're forced off schedule. You, you have to improvise. Here's your passer rating. 
And I bet Jalen, I don't know what it is. I haven't, I haven't seen the numbers myself, but I got to believe that Jalen Hurts' numbers when, you know, I'm talking about a passer rating, not, not running with the football. I got to believe his numbers go from something like 250 in the pocket to like 115 out of the pocket. When he leaves the pocket yeah. and starts scrambling around and then tries to throw the football, it's almost always a disaster. I shouldn't say almost always. There, there's a disaster waiting to happen. It's and, off of and one, we it's, saw that the, the, certainly the last week. Yeah, because he throws off one foot and his accuracy pretty much isn't there a lot of the time when he's moving anyway. Forgets like, his fundamentals. Yeah. yeah. Like the only time that he can throw well on the move is if he's simply stepping up in the pocket. And he's only done that maybe, like you can count on maybe one hand how many times he truly stepped up in the pocket to avoid a rush and uh, believed in the play and waited for the play to develop and then found the open man. I mean, the the CeeDee Lamb wide open touchdown against Houston, um, uh, the Lee Morris touchdown against West Virginia towards the end of that game. Like there's a few examples of that. He's more than capable of um, making it happen. It's just... Like Rufus said, he just trusts his legs way too damn much. But um, I guess the last thing before we get out of here, guys, um, th- we saw with, with Iowa State, you know, going into that game, we know what they like to do. That It's the drop eight thing. They're really good at it. But just like everybody, you know, going into that game probably thought, okay, they can drop eight and make it hard for Jalen Hurts to uh, throw the ball into tight windows, but then Jalen's just going to have all this open space to run. And in the first half, the dude was on fire running the football. Um, He made some pretty questionable throws that he got lucky with. But in the second half... (laughs) What? (laughs) (laughs) um, In the second half, um, uh, Iowa State adjusted, and those running lanes really weren't there as much anymore. And so I wonder what Baylor and Matt Rule are going to try and, like, what... Like, what poison are they going to pick? Are they going to try and do the classic, well, we're going to make Jalen Hurts beat us with his arm, even though that opens up running lanes, or are they just going to do what Kansas State tried to do and just be disciplined? Because they're, they're, they're lucky, and th- their offense has been pretty vanilla, but they are very disciplined. And I have, I have confidence that if that's the route that they take, they can make it work. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you 100%. If I was Baylor, I'm going to play back. I'm going to let my defensive line and linebackers handle the run game and kind of pick on a struggling offensive line that's an Oklahoma's offensive line and say they'll miss more blocks in run game and I'll keep guys back in the pass coverage to make Jalen Hurts have to throw in traffic or with people around. That That's the recipe to beat him. I, and I wholeheartedly believe that. That's the recipe to beat him. You know, Baylor is missing its starting middle linebacker for, I think, three weeks now. He's out for the season. They they haven't missed a beat without him, and that's phenomenal to me. They've got probably I, – I think I've said this each of the last three weeks, guys. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Baylor has the best defensive line in the Big 12. I said that about K-State, uh, that they, that they might have made a statement. I said it about Iowa State, that they could make a claim. But I really think that Baylor, with James Lockhart, Bravion Roy, and James Lynch – have the three best offense, uh, defensive linemen in the Big 12. And then you back them up with guys like Blake Lynch, the, the, the you know, strong side linebacker. Uh, Jordan Williams is a senior who's played a lot of games. I'm thinking, that, uh, I'm thinking that this defense is going to be, you know how you, know how you don't want to get in a fist fight with somebody that's going to whip your ass? You, you want to get into you know, a, a game of wits or you know, you want to get into, uh, you know, out, outthink them and, and maybe avoid the fight altogether and make them look stupid. No, Baylor doesn't do that. Baylor is going to stand there toe to toe with Oklahoma's offense and they're going to try and whip the Oklahoma offense's ass. 
physically. And, you know, I don't know if they have the, the, the weapons in the back end to do that, you know, in terms of the cornerbacks and safeties. But they do up front, and that's something that would be very disconcerting to me if I'm Lincoln Riley trying to draw up a game plan. Just give the ball to C.D. Lamb. That seems to work. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah. Get the ball to C.D., dang it. <laughs> that dude is <laughs> he's Julio Jones playing in college football. It's awesome, especially for OU fans. But, um, guys, I'll let you guys get out of here. We've been talking for an hour. I know you guys are busy. you got other stuff to do. And we will get uh, the pregame show going um, maybe Friday night, maybe Saturday morning, depending. Like I think the Thunder actually have a home game Friday, so we'll probably have to do it Saturday again. So, um, well, I look forward to that. But uh, Rufus, thank you so much. John Hoover, thank you so much. All right, fellas. Everybody, thank you so much for listening to the Inside OU podcast. Really appreciate it, of course. And apologies for the lateness of this podcast, but um, I'm in the process of moving. So uh, hopefully by next week when I'm moved in, uh, we can still do the Monday podcast all in person like we normally do. But apologies again. Um, but yeah, everybody, thank you so much for listening to the Inside OU Podcast on the Franchise Podcast Network. Uh, this is Brady Trantham. Y'all have a good rest of your day. Listen to Brady Trantham Saturdays from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. on 1077 The Franchise and 1079 The Franchise Tulsa. Follow him on Twitter at Brady Does Sports. Catch all of John Hoover's work at thefranchiseok.com. Follow him on Twitter at John E. Hoover and be sure to catch all of his radio call-ins throughout the week on 1077 The Franchise and 1079 The Franchise Tulsa. Subscribe, rate, and review all the podcasts in the Franchise Podcast Network. The Sam Mays Podcast, All In, Inside OU, OKC82, and Intimate with TV's Jerry can be found in all the places you listen to your podcasts. Seriously, just subscribe. You don't even have to listen.